0: gators breakdown the gators fan podcast because there's never a dull moment in gator nation the gators breakdown podcast is ready to go i am your host david waters and you can find me on twitter at GatorDave underscore s-e-c their 2018 final rankings are out way too early 2019 rankings are also out and recruiting is in full swing for the Gators. And to break it all down with me is Will Miles. You can find him on Twitter at Will Miles, SEC, and his site, readandreaction.com. Will you join me the day after Clemson destroys Alabama in the national championship game? Uh, last game of the season for the uh, 2018 season. We'll get into uh, where the Gators are and, and, and uh, the highly ranked Gators. Uh, but uh, that was a complete butt whooping, plain and simple.
1: Yeah, it was a little bit less exciting than last year, that's for sure. But the second year in a row where a backup five-star quarterback has 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 been a major player in the national championship game and that's sort of where we're at at this point where you got high-level elite-level quarterbacks being being replaced by better ones who come in as true freshmen and you know, it's it's an interesting arsenal that both of those teams are starting to build and uh, or have built or are starting to build and uh you know, I, I look forward to the, to the next few seasons while Mullen tries to catch up.
0: Yeah, that's the thing. Um, and we'll have a viewer question later on of uh, the Gator standard and the, kind of the parameter was what can Florida do to catch up to Alabama. But um, if they're 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 go- they're going to have to catch up to Alabama because Alabama's not going anywhere. Uh, no, no matter what happened last night, Clemson's not going anywhere either. Uh, Georgia's probably going to be in that mix, too. You know, We'll get into all these polls and stuff. But you look at Clemson and Alabama, they were the two best teams before the season. They were the two best teams during the season, two best teams in the playoff. And uh, Clemson kind of just put themselves on a pedestal for this 2018 season. Yeah,
1: all I know is I'm enjoying going and watching the Alabama message boards while people are telling tell, – where they're complaining that the game has passed Saban by and that he no longer needs to be the coach there. I I, I long for the day when Florida ends up finishing second, and and, and that's just an unacceptable result. Um, so, yeah, and hey, we, we haven't really experienced that since 1995 in that game against Nebraska. So, um, yeah, we win when we get there, so that's what's important.
0: Hashtag fire saving. There we go.
1: <laughs> well, there's a there's a fire Kirby movement out there too. So uh, I'm I'm uh, I'm I'm ready for it. We'll we'll bring him in as like a like a Butch Jones assistant.
0: <laughs> well, Alabama, uh, with him being on the sidelines, I did tweet this last night. Alabama is champions for life this year. So they got that they got that going for him.
1: Oh man. man. Well, wow. well what was it? Either Alabama won and we had to hear them complaining or or Alabama lost and we had to hear Danny Cannell. That was pretty much the choice we had last night. So I'm not all that excited about that, but I am excited about uh you know where Florida ends up and sort of being able to recap that. So uh enough yeah. about Bama Man.
0: <laughs> there we go. The the speaking of Canal, the the mute button is your best friend on Twitter. So that's all, uh that's where I'll go with that one. Uh right, here we go. We'll break it down, all the rankings. Uh, 2018 2019 all that good stuff but before we do remember you can find gators breakdown on news 4 jacks.com slash gators breakdown there you'll find all the gators breakdown episodes as well as articles from the news for jack sports team catch us on itunes google play youtube and spotify and when using those services please share rate and review gators breakdown and on social media follow follow us uh, on twitter and facebook at gators Breakdown. So, will the final rankings for the 2018 season have been released after a 10 and 3 season in Dan Mullen's first season for the Gators? And uh, he gets the Gators up to sixth in the final coaches' poll of 2018, one spot behind Notre Dame and in front of LSU at seven and in front of Georgia at eight. Uh, First time uh, in the top 10 in the coaches' poll since 2012 when the Gators finished 10th, and the highest ranking in the coaches' poll since 2009 when the Gators finished. Third, uh, also released on Tuesday, the Gators ranked seventh in the final AP poll, tied with Georgia and one spot behind LSU. Uh, this is the highest finish for the Gators in the AP polls since 2009 as well. Uh, and their first finish inside the top 10 since 2012, uh, when the Gators finished ninth. So uh, Mullen joined Galen Hall in 1985 as only uh, first-year head coaches in Florida history to finish the season inside the top 10 and Mullen is the third coach in history to win 10 games in a debut season uh, with a current power five program after inheriting a team that won less than 5 games the year prior so will on the on the surface going from a 4 and 7 season to the 6th and 7th ranked team speaks volumes about the turnaround uh and, you know and the perception Florida has out there right now
1: yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm not sure you could have asked more coming into the year. I mean, obviously, you get a little bit greedy once you get through that Georgia game. And then if had they been able to win the game against Missouri, um, you know, this turns into a top five season maybe. But um, end of the day, if you'd have told me they were going to finish sixth in the coaches bowl at the end of the year, I think I would have said, all right. Yeah, that's exactly <laughs> like I will absolutely take that in year one. And I think most Gator fans would, too. I mean, I don't think anybody thought this was going to be a national championship run. And it wasn't but it does sort of set them up to finish in or to start in the top 10 next year and be one of those teams that people look at. And if Felipe Franks can take a major step forward, if the offensive line can can gel with all the new guys who are going to be on it, if they can replace some of the guys who are leaving on the defense, they're going to have a chance to be pretty good next year. And and certainly I think it's a it's a reflection on Mullen and his coaching ability that he was able to take a lot of the same players that Jim McElwain had a year ago and mold them and and scheme around maybe some of their weaknesses and, and be able to get the most out of them. So um, a very successful season for Florida. Um, a f- pretty good luck in one score games, and I think that's something we'll have to watch out next year because those tend to even out over time. But you know, y- even if one of those has gone the other way, you're still looking at a nine win season, in the top ten teams. So um, you know, ten and three, sixth in one poll, seventh in another. I-, I think it's an excellent start, and we'll see where we go from here.
0: Yeah, so uh, Gator Nation will, of course, likes the coaches poll a little bit more since they're ranked seventh, and not uh, and not seventh. Uh, Notre Dame, which lost to Clemson in the Cotton Bowl. Uh, was fifth uh, there. So, you know, I, I have no issues. I know there's a lot of thought out there. In Notre Dame being in front of uh, Florida, but I look, they only lost one game. That one game was to the eventual national champion uh, there. So, no problem uh, there with, with Notre Dame um, there. So, uh, and a lot of it also, you go look at the AP poll, uh, LSU was sixth, and that didn't rub Gator fans, uh, the right way. Uh, and Florida and Georgia were tied, uh, for seventh, as I mentioned. You know, LSU, uh, Finished six with a loss to Florida uh, and the getters being ranked ahead of LSU in the previous poll, uh, beating them head to head, as I mentioned, in the regular season. Both teams winning their bowl games. Uh, So, Will, I know it it is splitting hairs kind of between Florida, Georgia, and LSU Uh, all have an argument of why one should be ahead of the others. But uh, I think LSU probably gets a little too much credit here for for beating Central Florida, jumping up the way they did five spots from the previous poll ahead of Florida. Uh, And with what Florida showed and with what LSU showed, uh, I saw very little reason why LSU should have jumped Florida in that regard.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I guess you can make an argument for any of those teams, right? I mean, obviously, LSU beat Georgia, Georgia beat Florida, Florida beat LSU, and even Kentucky, if you wanted to throw them in there, I think at 12th, um, you know, I think they have an argument to be up amongst those four as well, just based on the way they played um, in in their SEC season and and how they finished off the bowl game, you know, beating Penn State. And I mean, that game wound up, I think, a four-point win, but it was a lot wider than that. It was something like 28-7 to going into the fourth quarter. So, um, you know, I think when you look at the four teams in the SEC, you're really splitting hairs when you try to figure out who did what. I will say that one of George's losses came to Alabama. And as much as I loathe to defend the Bulldogs, I mean, you know, they lost to the number two team in the country and they lost to, if you're, depending upon which poll you're looking at, you know, another top 10 team in LSU. So, um, and then lost to Texas, who's also in that sort of top 10 realm. So the teams Georgia lost to were all up there. I think Missouri is borderline top 25. Obviously, Kentucky's a top 10 team and then Georgia's a top 10 team. So um, I can understand why people would have issue or would have difficulty ranking those guys in any sort of order. There's no coherent, oh, this team beat this team. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and, um, I think, I think it's really sort of the story of the secs this year is that there were a lot of very good teams. I don't know that there was a great team among them. We sort of thought Georgia might be, but Georgia lost an awful lot of firepower last year. And we sort of detailed that coming into the year. Um, and so you had a lot of, I think, really good teams. I'm not sure you had an elite one and, you know, really the question is going to be which team can take that step next year. Obviously Kentucky's losing a lot. Um, LSU, I think is, you know LSU is bringing back Burrow and he's looked pretty good the last three or four weeks, just like uh, just like Franks has. Obviously, Florida's bringing back Franks and Georgia's bringing back Fromm, and so um, you know it's going to be interesting. You've got these guys who are holdovers from last year, who are you know the guy who improves the most, or the team that improves the most around him is going to be the team that takes that next step, and and that's really what this is sort of doing is it's setting the stage for each of these teams to take that next step and potentially make a championship run next year because they're all going to get to play each other. So uh, so separate each other in 2019, no matter matter where they finish in 2018.
0: Yeah, we look at all these teams that finished there and kind of just talking to a friend of mine, uh, South Carolina. uh, uh, He's a South Carolina fan. Uh, Just kind of looking ahead. We'll look ahead at the Gators. But, you know, these teams that finished top 10 this year, uh, Clemson winning the National Championship. South Carolina has to play Clemson every year, of course. They got them next year. They have Alabama as their SEC opener. They have Texas A&M, which will probably be a borderline top ten team. They have Florida. They have Georgia. So almost half of their schedule are teams that finish in the top ten <laughs> this year.
1: Yeah. So, uh, A&M okay. has Clemson too, so we're certainly the SEC is going to get a shot at uh, a shot at the ACC and a shot at the at the champion. <laughs> and with Lawrence there, I don't think Clemson's going anywhere either. So. Oh. Um, You know, it's going to be interesting next year to see whether either of those teams can really bow up because, you know, obviously Clemson dominated that game yesterday. But I mean, Alabama put up a bunch of yards and was able to run the ball. There were a lot of fourth downs. They didn't get a lot of stops in the red zone. I think they scored in one out of the four trips in the red zone. You know, if they put up three touchdowns, it's a lot closer game now didn't feel like that because the defense couldn't stop Clemson no matter what they did. But, um, you know, I think those teams are probably closer than what was shown on the field yesterday. I think Mm -hmm. sometimes, you know, the, the snowball sort of starts rolling downhill and then all of a sudden, you know, it's just, it's just a cakewalk in one direction or the other. And we saw that a few years ago with Florida in 2006 with Ohio state, where I don't think Ohio state was as bad as Florida made them look, but certainly um, that sort of kicked off the sec's dominance. And, and so I think people, perceive that Ohio state was just seen as a much better team than they were uh, than they actually were. So, you know, we'll see, I I think uh, certainly it's, it's good to see the sec scheduling tough out of conference games. Florida has another one next year with, well, two really with Florida state and Miami um, or at least legitimate power five programs, whether they're going to be any good next year is something (laughs) that that I'm sure we'll be talking about during the off season. But you know, the, the, the move for these power five programs to be scheduling big time out of conference opponents, especially when their home schedule permits it. Um, you know, there's a reason Florida had Michigan two years ago to open the year. There's a reason that they have Miami this upcoming year. Um, and that they skipped it and had a, and had a cupcake this year. So, um, you know, the fact that they're, they're scheduling these things, I think is indicative that they know that it's necessary in order to get to where they want to go long-term. I think it's also necessary from a recruiting perspective that, that, you know, the guys who come to Florida from South Florida want to play Miami. And so having that sort of game on the, on the schedule makes a difference. So yeah, it's going to be a rough, uh, a rough road for, for Muschamp there next year, or potentially could be a rough road if he doesn't pull out one of those and, and, uh, you know i'm i'm glad that florida gets auburn and not alabama next year <laughs> i think that i think that's a that's a nice break for the gators um i mean auburn's a good team but uh but they're not alabama
0: yeah and uh but w- of course we mentioned we brushed over it uh, the whole georgia thing yes they beat florida head to head when well, it's all said and done will at the end of the year and uh you know I don't know, how, I don't know how much of a bragging point it would be, uh, but yeah, tied for seventh in one poll and right ahead of Georgia <laughs> in another. So yeah, we may not have beat them head to head, but uh, we can claim some small victory that uh, when it was when, when the 2018 season was over, uh, that uh, Florida is right ahead of Georgia. And, and I'm kind of like you, yet yeah, they had to play Alabama, and let's not forget in an extra game, so they had an extra game to, to lose. And you know, Florida was in Atlanta somehow; they probably would have lost that game as well, but they didn't. And Florida is right ahead of Georgia in one poll. So, uh, um, we can uh, we can rub it in their face a little bit.
1: Well, yeah, and if, if I'm gonna if I'm gonna troll Georgia, it's not gonna be with it we're, that we're one spot ahead of them in the polls. Yeah. It's gonna be that Nick Saban's fake punt last night is the second worst <laughs> fake punt in the SEC. That will definitely be the way that we have to troll Georgia fans on this one. So, um, hey, it's gonna be fun, man. We're back. Like last year, you had to. You know, you had to sort of just take your medicine. Not only did we get our butt whipped by Georgia, but by a bunch of other teams and we went four and seven. And, you know, there wasn't really much you could say to Georgia after they'd made their way to the national championship game other than, you know, second and 23. And uh, and, and this year we get to talk about Justin Fields and we get to talk about the fake field goal. So or fake punt. So so it's it's been a good uh, it's been a good last month. That's for sure.
0: All right, so uh, we'll say goodbye to the 2018 season there with uh, Gators being ranked in the top 10 in in the official polls there. And, of course, look ahead to the 2019 season, and some publications have released their way too early 2019 rankings. Uh, It seems like these come out as soon as uh, the, the clocks go zero on the national championship game, and the Gators are firmly in the top 10 ESPN has the Gators ranked seventh and go on to say, quote, Florida's sixth victory improvement from 2017 was among the best in FBS, and Mullen's 10 victories were one more than what Meyer and Steve Spurrier won in their first seasons at Florida. Even more impressive, Mullen did it while squeezing everything possible out of quarterback Felipe Franks, who ranked 10th in the SEC in passing. How much will a second season under Mullen help him? End quote. So, Will, I'll include some of the other polls here in just a second. Uh, but, you know, one more, the, the popular ones people will see uh, will be the ESPN one because of the ESPN brand. And they have the Gator Seventh behind the, the likes of uh, Clemson, Bama, Georgia, uh, Ohio State, Notre Dame, Oklahoma. Uh, And then Florida. So, you know, all those teams were fighting for or in the college football playoff toward the end of the season. Uh, And then it's the Gators that are next on the list. And I think it says a lot that in year two under Mullen, that there is this thought that Florida can be mentioned with these teams and sets up an offseason where Florida will be in conversations to win the SEC East and go to Atlanta.
1: Yeah, I think it clearly indicates that people still think Franks has room to grow, that he's got physical tools, but that he's had limitations this year and that with a full year um, in, in Mullen's program, um, with all the experience that he got this year, and the confidence that he got going in towards the end of the year, and the way that he played, that he's still got another level to go. And if you take Felipe Frank's performance this year and take it up the same percentage that he improved from last year, you're going to have a guy who's in the running for the Heisman Trophy. Now, I think that's probably a little bit—I um, think that's a little bit aggressive. Um, I, I, I don't think—I think it's a whole lot easier to improve from really, really bad to to slightly above average than it is to go from slightly above average to elite. But, you know, to go from slightly above average to a solid, solid, you know, top 30 quarterback, all of a sudden now you've got a Florida offense that's putting up 40 points a game. And... Um, you know, a team that's putting up 40 points a game can compete with anybody. So I think that's really sort of what this is saying is that people are recognizing that Mullen, just from the way he's able to scheme and the way he was able to take a group of players who, who really didn't have a whole lot of confidence coming into the game or coming into the year and sort of turn them into a bunch or, you know, a group who has a whole lot of confidence coming into the next year, um, you know, to be able to do that sort of sets them up to be able to make a run next year if they have an opportunity. I, I still think the vast majority of people are going to pick Georgia next year, um, to win the East. I I think Florida is still going to come in the underdog. I think that's based on talent profiles. That's probably true. Um, but you know, I mean, I, I, think with all the guys who have sort of left Georgia, um, that the, the gap has expanded in terms of talent when you look at the recruiting class for Georgia this year versus Florida. But when you look at all the guys who've left, you know, that gap is sort of closed. And so, um, you know, all of a sudden now coaching becomes more important as that talent gap closes further and further and further. And, you know, when we talk about recruiting, we're always talking about percentages, right? That a team that has a whole lot more talent, you know, maybe wins 60% of the time or 65% of the time or 70% of the time. Well, that still means 30 or 35% of the time, the team with less talent has a shot. And I think with Mullen on on Florida side, the fans and the experts really think that Florida's always going to have a shot.
0: Well, breaking news here that we're gonna be on breaking it uh, on Gator's breakdown. So uh some people will listen to the podcast version, but uh people out there listen to the live version, Jim Cheney is leaving Georgia and go into Tennessee as the offensive coordinator. So some coaching changes. Georgia will have to replace uh their defensive coordinator, Mel Tucker, and now their offensive coordinator, Jim Cheney. Uh, so we'll see what kind of happens there. Uh, I'm sure this probably wasn't too much of a surprise. I've kind of heard rumblings the last couple of days anyway, that uh, that was, uh, that, that, that that could happen. Uh, and there's some Georgia fans. That just, I have a lot of Georgia friends, uh, not entirely too impressed with Chaney, but uh, I don't think they wanted to see him go, but uh, maybe improve a little bit. So there we go. Uh, that was uh, another big change that will happen before uh, next season. Uh so any thoughts there will of uh hey look lose Justin Fields as well so uh, a lot of a lot of changes for Georgia uh, even though uh, they uh can uh, have the the talent that they've been stocking up the last couple of seasons
1: Yeah I mean I I wouldn't say that I'm I'm like ultra happy he's gone you know whereas you see somebody like Lane Kiffin leave Alabama for a head coaching job and you say okay like I'm glad he's out of Tuscaloosa <laughs> I think that this isn't a case like that I I mean, Georgia's offense was good. It wasn't. It wasn't spectacular, um, really. Georgia, for the most part, if it, I'd have to look at the numbers, but I'm pretty sure relied on their defense a lot of times, especially last year, um, to really sort of carry them through some of the lulls. You didn't see a whole lot of. Um, I mean, Fromm was very good last year, and this year he was about as good. So you didn't see a massive improvement for Fromm. Um, and then somebody has to be the scapegoat when you don't when you don't hit those goals. And when you come out and when you look as bad as they did against Texas and when you do some of the stupid things they did against Alabama. So, you know, Cheney, I think, I mean, this is this is definitely a lateral move, right? To go as the offensive coordinator from Georgia, the offensive coordinator at Tennessee. And so it's clearly not a performance <laughs> like it's not like he's leaving for a better gig. It's not okay. Kingsbury leaving USC to be head coach of the Arizona Cardinals or anything. It's you know, it's a lateral move. And so you figure there had to be some unhappiness between between him and Kirby and potentially between him and some of the offensive recruits. And, and, uh, you know, you wonder whether Justin Fields getting what less than three pass attempts a game, you know, whether that was Cheney's call or whether that was Kirby's call. And, you know, this is always the, this is one of the things I think is really impressive about Nick Saban is he brings in an unbelievable amount of talent. And very rarely do you hear them complain about it. I mean, I think the only time I can remember is Jalen Hurts talked a little bit before this year started, you know, that he hadn't really had a chance to talk to Saban and, and stuff like that. But for the most part, these guys, you know, the running backs who are all five-star guys get eight carries a game and you never really hear him complain. And, you know, sort of the unrest at Georgia, I think is indicative of, yes, Saban amasses an awful lot of talent, but there is skill to navigating, keeping all of that talent happy and, you know, clearly Kirby has shown he's got some deficiencies on the on the field, but, uh, you know, maybe this is sort of uh, uh, another knock on him that he has some issues with the personalities that he's bringing in. I mean, even though they're very, very talented, it's hard to keep people like that happy if you're not giving them playing time, and maybe that's what we're seeing.
0: Yeah, and the thing about this is I know Tennessee fans may be excited about the, the, the Jim Cheney move to Tennessee, but... You have that talent Georgia's had on that roster the last couple of years. That's going to make some offensive coordinators look pretty good. So I'd be interested. Can he, can he build and have success as a play caller at the same time? As you know, I don't think he'll have as much right away because, like I said, there's running backs Georgia's had uh, and from coming in and, and being a pretty good quarterback as well it makes it look a whole lot easier than you know Tennessee doesn't have that type of talent. So can he build and play call? You know, have play calls like he did at Georgia. Uh, at, at the same time instead of just already having uh, the the talent and, and the playmakers he had already when he got to Georgia. So let's get back to where uh, Florida is in these uh, way too early rankings here. I'll include a couple others here and and the reassertion that uh, the Gators will be highly thought of. Uh, the Athlon Sports and 24-7 Sports also have the Gators 7th. Uh, as well so three polls here if we're way too early 2019 rankings and all three have Florida seventh Uh, athlon says quote mullen should be able to continue the momentum in 2019 as florida should be comfortably inside the top 10 in preseason polls Uh, while 24 7 sports chris sumner uh, chris summer says uh does this feel a bit high for the gators uh, yes, but I expect Florida to only improve in Mullen's second year. If Felipe Franks can make another jump as a junior, and the offensive line comes together, Florida will be extremely dangerous next season in the SEC East. Uh, will can the season just start now? Uh, that's, that's 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 the question I want. Uh, no, I, I need a little bit of a break, but now just you know, just it's been a while since we have went into an off season like this, and. and looking at the way too early projections and, and far Florida being firmly planted uh, in, in the top 10 and all the the positive thoughts of the head coach and Felipe Franks and the quarterback. And there's actually some thought out there now on a national level that Mullen can turn him into something better. He can be a quarterback that Mullen can, can build this offense around and contend for the sec East. And when you contend for the sec East, more than likely that if you end up in Atlanta, a lot of the times you're going to be playing for something more. and. It kind of you go, we go back a year ago when when Dan Mullen was hired. I didn't ever put myself in this situation. Was I a big Mullen fan? Was he my first choice for to, to replace Jim McElwain? Absolutely. But even I didn't see this coming.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think there's some things we need to take into consideration. One is that the SEC typically you win at the line of scrimmage, and they have to replace four offensive linemen. They got to replace Ja'Kai Polite. They got to replace CC Jefferson on the defensive line, and then Voshan Joseph, who's really played close to the line of scrimmage, and you know the. Each of those guys had different levels of consistency and different levels of play throughout the year. But I I mean, I don't think anybody would argue that they weren't the best guy for the job this year. And so, um, you know, guys like Blyke and Banks and Garage and and all the new guys coming in on the offensive line, they're going to have to find the five guys who are that cohesive unit. I think they'll have a lot better depth, but I think they're probably going to have a lower ceiling than they probably had this year. Um, same thing with the defensive line i mean zuniga was a, or i'm sorry polite was a was a special player there zuniga is a very good player coming back but you know the, two years ago and three years ago it was sort of you know those guys started you didn't see as much production from them during sec play this year i think polite really maintained his play through sec play and and zuniga sort of it wasn't it wasn't quite as uh, Quite as as impressive what he did, though it was still, I mean, what I think five and a half sacks, still a very good player. Um, So, you know, there's a lot to replace on the defensive line, a lot to replace on the offensive line. The other thing I do think we need to consider is that there were not a lot of injuries at all, right? I mean, you had the suspensions to start the year where C.C. Jefferson wasn't necessarily playing against Kentucky. Um, You had Malik Davis who went out. You had Marco Wilson who went out. And that was pretty much it. Right. I mean, you had a couple of injuries during 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 camp and that's when Quincy Linton went out. But I mean, I, there was nothing like the MASH unit it was two years ago. And I think some of the depth that's being built on the offensive line and that sort of stuff is really going to be able to, is really going to benefit Florida next year. If the injury bug hits, the place I'd be concerned is on the defensive line where they haven't necessarily had a whole lot of uh, a whole lot of depth being built over the last couple of years in their recruiting. So, you know, I, I think it's just like any year you come in and you say, OK, there's quite a bit of turnover. And what do we, you know, but obviously at key positions, we've got guys in place. So Frank's played quarterback all year long and, you know, he's back. And so you have some,
0: there. Yeah, you
1: either have consistency there or you have somebody who beat out the guy. <laughs> <laughs> who played all year, which is a good situation to be in. I think defensive back again. You get Marco Wilson back, and you've got Trey Dean, who got an awful lot of experience this year, and Mari that sort of stuff. So I think you can look at it and say there's a, there's an awful lot of talent coming back. But I think you know when you, when you look at where games are won up front. Florida won those games more often than not this year. And it's and it's going to be an open question is to to me it's less about Frank's development and more about the cohesion on the offensive line and the push on the defensive line. Those are the places that I think we'll need to look early in the season to understand the ceiling for
0: this team. Yeah, that that's my question too. You got every but but Scarlett, you have every offensive skill player returning. Uh, and led by P. Ryan, who was your, your lead running back, You'll have Davis back if he can get healthy. Uh, all your receivers are back. You're right. The offensive line—that's the question on offense. Okay, how fast can those guys come together? You open up with Miami uh, there, who does have some talent on the long defensive line. Uh, you know, we'll have plenty of time to to to, to, to preview all that stuff. Uh, and on defense, you you lose your your, your playmakers on, on defense. Your your guys who could. Make tackles behind the all, uh, line of scrimmage. Your guys who could go back there and, and go get some sacks. Uh, Johnson, Chantico Garner Johnson, your Romer, who could be all over the field. So yeah, oh well, well we can point out the good here. That's uh, every team's going to have to replace something, and that's what the Florida is going to have to replace. And uh, a lot of belief into what they're already bringing back. Uh, the things that we know will lead to a uh, top ten uh, team. So keeping with the theme of 2019. And it's been announced, Will, the list of early enrollees uh, for the Gators. And that includes linebacker Mamou Diabate, offensive lineman William Arad, defensive back Jayden Hill, quarterback, quarterback Jalen Jones, linebacker Josiah Pierre, offensive lineman Kingsley Igueken, defensive back Chris Steele, offensive lineman Michael Tarquin, and offensive lineman Ethan White. So, Will, you look at it and break it down. Four of the seven signed offensive linemen are in your early enrollees and your quarterback. So, you know, for offensive line, um, not too many true freshmen play, but still good for depth purposes to get them in, come in here, get them in the weight room, get them to develop there. Uh, and, and it's good to start that process as early as possible. Also, I think getting... Uh, getting Jalen Jones in here as your quarterback, get him familiar with the playbook, get him familiar with the schemes and uh, how fast college football is from the quarterback position, get his technique working on with Dan Mullins a plus. And then also, I really think, you know, defensive back, getting Hill and uh, in- in Steele into, you know, to shore up depth behind Henderson and Wilson. Uh, Wilson may be limited this spring, coming back from his injury. Uh, Dean may move around from safety to cornerback to nickel. Uh, he'll also, even though he's coming in as a freshman, could be limited somewhat. He's coming off of an injury as well. But getting those defensive backs, because you need to shore up, and we'll see what happens with Matt Edlam down the road. We'll talk about that, uh, But or uh, Kyrie Ilum. Uh We'll see what happens there. But getting those cornerbacks that may have to fill in behind uh, Wilson and Henderson, uh, I think, are key as well. Yeah.
1: I, I think the offensive line, I mean, you mentioned that true freshmen don't always play. I think they're going to have to play. I mean, you look at who they've got at tackle. They got Forzath, Delance, banks and garage. That's they got four tackles. Um, are, is one of those guys ready? And do they have, did the experience that they get this year really put them to a point where they're ahead of Tarkeen Wilson, Harrod or white? You know, I, I don't know the answer to that question. I'm not sure Mullen does either. Probably. Um, you know, they, they're bringing in seven offensive linemen this year. And, and so, um, You know, it's not, those guys are going to have to play. You get any injury at all and they're going to have to play. And so um, it's it's going to be important. It's important that those guys are coming in early, that those guys are getting the kind of experience that they're going to get in the spring camp, the strength and conditioning, as you mentioned, um, you know, just really sort of getting them immersed in the program, getting them used to being on campus. I mean, I remember when I first went to Florida and sort of the first couple of weeks and how discombobulated I was, I imagine just being there in the spring and figuring out where to buy your groceries and stuff is sort of, you know, an important part of, of coming and to be able to do that during the spring camp rather than, than doing it while you're practicing for the fall and getting ready for the season I think is an advantage for anybody and yeah obviously on on the defensive backfield I mean you know there are with Chauncey Gardner Johnson leaving there are obviously some big shoes to fill Um, certainly I think the injury to Marco Wilson was a terrible thing and you never wish that on somebody but I do think that the time that Trey Dean got is going to really pay off for Florida down the road Um, you know it almost looked like they were thinking that Amari Bernie may end up moving into linebacker and if he does that I think he might be really good at it. But if he does that, then, um, you know, they're going to need steel to come in immediately. And that's one of the nice things about some, uh, recruit the quality of steel. I mean, he's one of those guys who you do think can come in and contribute right away and, and play on the outside and, and be a lockdown guy. Um, at least, at least, you know, maybe on the second receiver for the for the opposition. So, um, yeah, it's great to see these guys coming in early, especially on the offensive line. I mean, that's the area where I would have said, okay, um, that's where it's important. That and the defensive line. So, um, you know, that's the place where maybe it's missing a little bit, and you'd you'd like to see um, you'd like to see more people coming in there. But you know, I think I think that's an area where Mullen is clearly going to put an emphasis on finishing out the class in in February. I would expect to see a defensive lineman or two sign there, and uh, you know, they'll just have to get up to speed really quickly in the fall.
0: I uh, will. So this week, uh, your article you know, that you released on reading reaction, uh, pretty much, uh, you know, we kind of go see where recruiting stands. Um, when we, um, uh, coming up for this 2019 season. So we're kind of done with the rankings done with, uh, where far does be looking at, uh, where they will be ranked in 2019. And, uh, We count now these early enrollees and kind of where we stand. We're recruiting moving forward. And Will, your latest article, you answered a question that many of our listeners have out there. I've gotten it. You've gotten it. uh, And the question is, how many players can Florida take in this class and kind of how it all goes about? and how it all happens, and it's becoming a little more clear with the the latest commits and signees and and early enrollees, and and to add this kind of sad, breaking news also on Tuesday uh, that went out not too long before we recorded, Florida redshirt freshman linebacker Nick Nick Smith will be forced to give up football due to a medical condition uh, that he announced uh, via his Twitter on Tuesday. Uh, Smith appeared in just one game, and uh, his two years out Florida and the season opener this past year. who uh, will have to call it a career due to a, quote, neck, neck injury uh, that could have caused permanent paralysis if not found. So Smith will take a medical hardship and no longer factor into Florida scholarship math for the 2019 season. Well, it's tough to see news like this. And uh, we've seen it a good bit at, at Florida recently in the last couple of seasons.
1: Yeah. I mean, you know, just, just really our best wishes out to, out to Nick Smith and certainly thank him for the time he put into the program. I mean, whether he was on the field or not, he was participating in the culture that Mullen's been building and, and been uh, and been working his butt off, I'm sure. And so, you know, we're sad to see that he's not going to be a part of the team out there on the field, but, but certainly he's going to be a Gator for the rest of his life. And, and we, we wish him the best. And also, um, you know, just, are really thankful that that we didn't find this out because of a hit on the field that he found it out through whatever physical they were doing or whatever sort of whatever sort of testing he was having done so um, you know our best wishes to him and and hopefully he uh, he finds a place in the game or or is able to use the degree that he gets at Florida to do something great so you know, but best wishes to him. Um, but yeah, you, you mentioned the, the guys, you know, we had James Robinson who, who, had, uh, who had health issues. We had Randy Russell who had health issues. I mean, that happens, right? You get attrition in, in classes, which is one of the reasons why I wrote the article that I did, because you know, you're allowed to sign 25 guys a year which means you should have 100 guys over a four-year period. You start adding in red shirts. It's like, all right, how do you only have 85 scholarships? And and this type of thing is how that happens, is that, you know, not necessarily this. Sometimes guys transfer because they want to play more. Sometimes guys transfer um, because of whatever, you know, because of hardships and things like that. Sometimes they leave the program because of some sort of, uh, some sort of police issue or something like that. Um, we saw that with Justin Watkins last year. Yeah. So so what ends up happening is I mean there's really two rules when you look at when you look at recruiting. The first is you can have 25 signees a year and you can do some fancy accounting with that. So if I sign 20 people last year and I have five early enrollees, I can really you know I can sign 30 this year because I can count back five of those. Now the SEC caps that because they only allow you to sign 28 letters of t- intent a year. But what it does mean is you could sign 28, bring in two transfers and have 30 people come in and join your team. Um, You just have to have the 80. You have to have scholarships available to do that. So you're only allowed to have 85 scholarship players, which is why you always see them sort of at the end of spring camp. You know, hey, if there's a scholarship left over for that year, they'll award it to a walk on. And they sort of show that on Twitter and that sort of stuff. It's just because they came up a scholarship short. And so they can give out that scholarship to somebody who's earned it. Um, So if you look at where Florida stands right now. They have 61 returning scholarship players um, as of as of this moment when you when you take Smith out of the equation. They've got 23 signees or 23 commits, not all of them are signed. And so they're at 84 scholarships right now, which would make you think that they've only got one more guy they can sign. But that's not necessarily true because if there are pe- if there are guys on the team, and I'm not gonna speculate who it would be, but if there are guys on the team who decide they wanna transfer, if there are guys who have graduated and decide they'll get more playing time if they transfer someplace else as a graduate transfer, um, you know that opens up a scholarship, which means that Florida could sign one more um, when, when that happens. And so I'm sure Mullen's gonna be sitting down or has already sat down with players who have expressed unhappiness with their playing time or who or who want to transfer somewhere because they want to be closer to home or whatever the case might be. And he probably knows how exactly how many scholarships he's going to have based on the conversations with the players that he's had. So then the next thing you have to look at is how many, um, how many signees are you allowed to have this year just based on the numbers. And when you go back and look at it, because they only signed 20 guys last year, they had three transfers. And then by the math I did, they were allowed to count one early enrollee back to twenty seventeen as well, which means that they can they can count back three to 2018 in this 2019 class, which means they can sign five more guys. It's basically the long and short of it. They could sign a full class of 28. Now that you have to open up those five scholarships because if you have five more signees, that takes you to 89. So you'd have to clear four scholarships at that point. But um, but they have the capacity to sign those guys, but that would very much limit their ability to sign people next year. And so I'm imagining that Mullen's probably going to want to maintain some of the flexibility. Um, you know, if, if he gets top 50, top 100 guys to recruit, he's going to absolutely take him if it if he's filling a class to 27 28 with guys ranked in the 800s and 900s i don't necessarily expect that to happen
0: yeah and you, you talk about transfers there uh, as well so jonathan greenard uh the, the name that's brought up from the, the louisville uh transfer probably you know well a lot of Florida talk out there about that so you know, we'll kind of see where that goes but you know that's what it has to lead up to uh with this latest nick smith you know that opens up uh, a scholarship there as well so well if, if i'm looking at it right uh if you said this so if, i guess Florida would be at 84 now if yeah. you know yeah if you don't count the one black uh you know you don't count him just yet um there either but uh that gives uh to 84 i guess when nick smith's out
1: well, I was actually counting to one black in the, in the four. Oh, uh, okay, okay, okay. So, but if you, if you sign someone and they don't qualify, they still count against your signing, yeah. which, which is a game you have to play depending upon, um, d- depending upon whether you think someone's going to qualify. It's one of the reasons why it's a risk to sign someone who you might be, who you might, who you don't know whether they're going to be able to, but, um, You know, I I have no line of sight in terms of who will and who won't. It's just a question that that is when you start looking at the numbers, that does become important because that's part of the attrition. Same thing with injuries. Um, The guy no longer counts on your scholarship count, but he still counts towards that 25 that you signed. And so really, it boils down to an accounting game. Um, where you have to figure out where do I count my guys, but each guy you bring in has to count against one of those twenty-five man roster or one of those twenty-five man cycles, and you just sort of have to move the parts around until you get it to the right place. So, the early enrollees you mentioned there were significantly more than three, so they can count back three to last year mm-hmm. if they would like, um, which opens up more flexibility in 2020. Um, it's one of the reasons why you see Clemson a few times has signed like 17 guys. One of the reasons they do that is that that gives them a whole lot more flexibility for the next year when they want more guys. And you see that this year. I think they have 27 guys that they've signed this year. Alabama has 28 after only signing 22 last year. So that's how you get a team like Alabama this year who's just signing everybody under the sun. <laughs> and you're sitting there going, they're at 28. How come they, you know, why are they Why are they so high? And and one of the reasons that they're so high is because they signed less last year than they uh, than their allotted amount.
0: And their uh, popular gray-shirting.
1: <laughs> well, that too. I mean, you know, and... and it's amazing that guys keep going there for, um, you know, uh, again, I, I mentioned it eight carries a game or whatever right. Najee Harris was getting. And, and, you know, he's, he's willing to put up with it based on the the perks that he gets for coming to Tuscaloosa. So, um, you know, it, it's, it's an interesting machine that he's built there and, and, you know, whether that's sustainable or reproducible is really a, an interesting question. I think we might be exper- I think we might be seeing whether it is up in Athens.
0: Yeah, that's true. Yeah. And, uh, uh, I don't think it's going as smooth there. So, <laughs> for the time being, I guess we we can definitely say that. So, we well, let's take a look at this weekend. Uh, a visit's going to start taking place this weekend. Before we get to the uh, the viewer question that I kind of wanted to get to, uh, guys, you know they hope uh, the Gators hope that they can get in this class and, and visiting this weekend. Wide uh, receiver commit R.J. Henderson will be on campus. Who just committed last week? Cornerback Kair Elam, athlete playmaker Mark Anthony Richards. Defensive lineman Charles Moore, defensive end Smith Dilbert, and uh, those, recruit head, those recruits headline uh, this weekend. And Elam and Mark Anthony Richards are our top targets uh, on the board uh, for the Gators. You know, you pair Elam and Steele together, uh, and that's that's something special. You got two top-flight cornerbacks there to go behind Henderson and Wilson. Uh, we. Going into to this fall, both I would expect to get major playing time. Uh if if you if you compare Elon with steel. So hopefully that's the case with Florida King. King continued that dbu uh tradition still looks to be a florida georgia battle he i expect elam to take every one of his visits i don't think florida could do anything really to shut it down this weekend so that's gonna go he'll take all of his visits he said he may make his decision uh before the february signing day uh but i do expect uh Kyrie elam to take all his visits here uh mark anthony richards playmaker role uh here you know Uh, And, Will, it's kind of funny. I'm going to call it the playmaker role. I'm not calling it the Percy role anymore because it can't be duplicated. I'm going to quit calling it that. It's just going to be called the playmaker role now. Uh, It used to look to be a uh, Florida-Auburn battle. Uh, This is the one the Gators may try and push for a commitment this weekend to to get him uh, in in the fold here. Uh, I don't know if we'll hear about it or or not and uh, you know how silent commits go sometimes. But uh, I think this is one Florida may try and push for. And, um, you know, I think it's good to get uh, RJ Henderson on, on campus. after He just committed last week. Hopefully Florida can wrap up where he doesn't want to take any more visits to, to any other schools, even though he spurned FSU last week. He still may visit uh, there. So it would be good if Florida can just come out of this weekend, get him not to take any more visits and, and get his signature uh, in, in February. Uh, defensive lineman Charles Morris coming off a commitment to – Mississippi, uh, decommitment from Mississippi State. Uh, where he committed to Mullen uh, there, so the Gators need him along the defensive line, and we're we'll trying and fend off mainly Auburn here, uh, but also look out for Tennessee and FSU as they're also in the mix. Uh, and also along the defensive line, Smith Vilbert coming in, coming in from New Jersey, three-star defensive end where Penn State looks to be the team to beat. Uh, and also offensive lineman Irie Henry also visiting but not sure Florida will take another offensive lineman in this class with seven that they've already gotten, but they are going to bring in another offensive lineman for a visit. So uh, some big names here, Will, for the final push before February signing day.
1: Yeah, I mean, we won't know where we stand after this weekend, but I think I think Florida will know where they stand after this weekend <laughs> for a majority of it. And you know, you you look at you look at the commitment of Henderson. I think that was a surprise to, to me, at least. Um, that wasn't something that we were necessarily expected. So hey, you know, really sort of being able to pull somebody away from Willie Taggart, pull somebody away from Florida State, a top you know 120 ranked receiver, I think is a big deal. And then you look at Steele, obviously, is is the prize from the weekend and and bringing in somebody who's a top 50 recruit somebody on the corner, um, to really sort of further that DBU, um, DBU tradition. Um, and certainly if they can add Elam to that, and then if they can add, uh, add Mark Anthony Richards, then I you know, at that point, you're really talking about a a recruiting class is getting into the top 10. I still think, I mean, you know, when you look at the top five teams, there's there's a pretty significant gap between really the top three or four teams and everybody else. Uh, Bill's talked about this quite a bit on Twitter, where, you know, really between seventh and 12th, there's um, there's not a whole lot of differentiation. And that's kind of what we're going to see is that if Florida hits every hits on everybody, they'll go to the head of that class. And if they don't hit on everybody, they'll sort of be towards the back. So really, what you're looking at is seventh to 12th nationally, probably fifth or sixth in the SEC. Um, you know, it's, it's, um, not historically what guys like Zook and Meyer and, and even Muschamp have done in their second year, but, but loads better than what, uh, than what Muschamp or than what McElwain did in his second year. So, um, you know, with the, with the, uh, with the coaching that we saw this year and all that sort of stuff, I'm excited to see what he can do with these guys. And one of the thoughts I had is, you know, you got you got Marco Wilson, you've got Trey Dean, you got Amari Bernie, you got Chris Steele, you've got Kyrie Elam hopefully coming in. I mean, all of a sudden you're dealing with that problem we were talking about at Georgia, right, where you've got mm-hmm. too many guys to go on the field at any one time. And it's been a while since we've talked about Florida having too many guys to go on the field at <laughs> any one time at, 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 maybe, at various maybe, positions, right?
0: Yeah, maybe maybe running backs lately, but the only place we've been able to say that about.
1: Yeah, well, and it and it's always been one of those things where you're an injury away from being really, really thin. And you can't say that on the defensive backfield if they get Elam. You know, at that point you've got Steele and Elam, two top one hundred players who should be able to come in and play pretty early if you know you have some sort of injury to Henderson or Wilson or Dean or Bernie and you know you get those six guys out there all of a sudden you got a lot of flexibility that you can that you can do within Grantham's scheme so um, you know very important weekend I think' we'll, I think they'll know a lot about what's coming um, certainly if, if Richards commits then I think it really sends a signal that you know it seems like Elam's a pretty heavy lean towards Florida but we'll see um, but you know if they can pull in both of those guys I think you're looking at finish in the seven to nine range and obviously then if they can pull in another defensive defensive line and, um you probably even do better than that so um, exciting times and certainly the clothes that mullen has been putting on recently is pretty impressive and and we'll see where everybody ends up in february
0: all right so there's a look at uh, recruiting coming up uh, this coming up weekend for uh, the gators and will at the uh, just uh, i get notifications when i go and look at what we do on youtube and i can get notification for the comments and stuff there and uh, one that really caught my eye just calls uh, it took a lot of time to, to send us this question here and it really caught my eye and a lot of thinking here uh, of uh, or you know, opinion here actually of uh, the viewer question sent from uh, uh, on YouTube liquid flames uh, says, I love this podcast. I have not missed a single snap of Florida football since Steve Spurrier's final season. Thanks for all the work you guys put in the show. I have just a question uh, for you and everyone uh, else here. that would like to help out you and everyone uh, at Florida keeps talking about the Gators standard which has been defined as getting back to competing for national titles. I respect the sentiment, but I'm also a realist. What is it going to take for Florida to get up to Alabama's level in order to compete for a national title? Because I think we can all agree until Saban retires, they are going to be the team on both the SEC and the national stages. The path to the Gator standard of playing for national titles goes through Alabama. How did they tra- traverse that path? Georgia couldn't do it, and this year's Georgia team was one of the best Georgia teams uh, of my lifetime. I just wish when they talk about the Gator standard, they'd explain how they're planning uh, to get there through Alabama. Without a tebow S season, I just don't see it happening. I'm sorry. I just wonder what you all see that I'm missing. So, uh, well, I'll throw the, the, my answer out there first. And uh, see, like, well, first of all, I, I do agree with the path that it's going to take to, to get there. Yes, it goes through Alabama and to a certain extent, it goes through Georgia as well, since Florida has to play them every year. Uh, so, you know, I think it's, I think it's okay to question how far it is going to do it uh, because of the run Alabama is on. No one has a- been able to consistently uh, defeat them in the sec. And it's probably not slowing down <laughs> anytime soon. Uh, the path starts with getting the right coach. And I believe Florida has that. Uh, we saw other coaches can, can, can get there. And yes, I know that was uh, down uh, during a very down SEC East, but you know, McElwain did get there. But we knew the limitations were, that were there and the reliance is on, on some great defenses. So Mullen is already raising the overall talent level uh, in recruiting, and early signs say he's developing that talent as well as the talent that was already uh, on the roster. So, you know, now to, to get back to the, the quote, you know, Gator Standard, you know, I hate to sound like we're, we're beating a dead horse here, but you know, but raising the talent level to elite. Uh, because I believe that the coaching is Lynn Mullen and what we've seen uh from his time at Mississippi State, from what he did in his first year at Florida, I believe he's the right coach to 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 get that done. And you know, if we can just get the 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 elite talent uh to pair with it. And and uh or, you know, we see uh uh finding that great transcendent quarterback uh that it that it takes and we saw it uh, we've seen it time and time again, you know, in Oklahoma, what Clemson has been able to do with their quarterbacks. Uh, you know, that can be a great equalizer or, or even more when you saw it was more than an equalizer. And <laughs> when, when Clemson and Alabama faced, it was a, a butt whooping behind a, a true freshman transcendent quarterback. So, you know, now, I don't think it has to come down to Saban retiring as long as you raise that talent level uh, to that point. Now, the thing is, those things may coincide. You know, how much longer does Saban have, you know, if Florida kills it in recruiting in 2020 and 2021, does that somehow coincide with Saban leaving or, or retiring? So uh, uh, it's about how fast you think the Gator standard should be restored. I uh, have to be happy with 10 wins in, in year one. It's a great starting point. It's something to build off of. And we're all excited for next season and, and things that could, and if they could break the right way, you know, Florida's capable of, of beating Georgia and winning the East, so then you get your shot in Atlanta. And that's probably against Alabama. And then we'll get to measure where Florida is against Alabama and that Bama machine. So, you know, if we get to see that in year two, then it's uh, a pretty clear answer of how close we are to that Gator standard. And, you know, I also like, like, like to consider myself a realist when it comes to discussing the Gators, but also feel that the pieces are in place uh, to restore the Gator standard. I just think it, it, it's just all about when it happens.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think there's a couple of things that we need to consider. The the first is, is that what is the Gator standard? So if you look back at Steve Spurrier, when he came in, I mean, the first year, nine and two, second year, 10 and two, third year, nine and four, fourth team, fourth year, 11 and two, fifth year, 10 and two. And then in 95 and his sixth year, he goes 12 and one, loses to Nebraska in the national championship game. And then in 96 goes 12 and one and wins the national championship over Florida State. But if you look at the bowls that they were in, I mean, it's Sugar Bowl, Sugar Bowl, Sugar Bowl, Fiesta Bowl, Sugar Bowl, Orange. Bowl, Sugar Bowl, like I think eight of the eleven years that Spurrier was there, they they were in one of those big time bowls. So I think that. If you look at if you look back historically at Florida since Spurrier took over, the Gator standard is you are competing for big time bowls that you're going to play big games against big time competition, and that there's going to be that electricity in the air every time you play, and that you absolutely demolish teams like Kentucky and South Carolina and Vanderbilt and those sorts of things. That's you know that that basically there's four games a year where you're like, all right, I'm nervous about this, and every other game you walk out there knowing you're going to win 55 (laughs) to 55 to (laughs) seven. Was sort of the standard that 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 Spurrier hit, and then if you go back. And you look at Zook, obviously that fell off, goes eight and five, eight and five, eight and five, but built up the talent level to a point where when Urban Meyer took over, it goes nine and three, 13 and one wins the championship, nine and fourth and 13 and one wins the championship and 13 and one, the only loss was Alabama. So um, you know, I think Meyer sort of took, um, like, I think Zook was sort of those first three years with maybe worse coaching on the field of of Spurrier's first three years because before Spurrier took over they were going seven and five and six and six an awful lot and if you look at it you know Zook takes over they're going eight and five but he's building up the talent level Urban Meyer takes over that first year goes nine and three the second year they have that big jump but really in the post Spurrier transition it's about a five-year period Um, and so if you look at it in that way you say okay well they they went 10 and four under McIlwain, nine and four under McIlwain, but then four and seven. And that four and seven sort of coincides with that 2015 recruiting class that was what I think 23rd overall nationally. And now Mullen is starting to slowly build that talent, goes 10 and three his first year. But, you know, I think we're probably two or three years away from seeing Florida really being a, a dominant competitor or somebody who, somebody who that electricity in the air when they're playing ten, when they're playing Alabama, where it's like, all right, this is a 50, 50 proposition, not, you know, a ninety ten proposition or 80, 20 proposition. I mean, when you look at the recruiting numbers, I mean, you mentioned it. So Alabama from 2000, if you count this year from 2016 to 2019, will have signed 76 blue chip guys to 37 for Florida. Uh, that's not the end of the world. I mean, you look at, you look at Clemson, they've only signed 46. So they're much closer to Florida. However, if you look at Clemson, they've signed 22 top 100 guys in that same time to 11 for Florida and they've signed 11 five stars um, to, to zero for Florida from, well, I guess two to Florida if you count uh, 2015 to 2018. So, um, you know, and that's,
0: and good you obviously because people love to bring up Clemson when, when, when discussing Florida. So, you know, you, look, you can look at recruiting rankings and, you know, we do it a lot too. Uh, but when you broke it down just how, how you did and the top 100 guys that they have that Florida doesn't have, you know, there there's the difference right there.
1: Well, there are a lot of ways to slice it, but really when you look at it, five-star guys Guys turn into all American NFL players a lot more often than four stars. And and that's what's happened at Clemson. Now, I think you can make a case that Dabo Spliny has done an unbelievable job at developing those guys mm-hmm. and that he has not had a whole lot of misses on the five stars that he's brought yeah. in. But I don't think you can say that five stars aren't important. I mean, hell, Trevor Lawrence just won the game the <laughs> other night and was unbelievable. And he was the number one overall recruit and the backup quarterback coming into the year, wins the job, you know, four or five games in, and all of a sudden. All all of a sudden, Clemson's unstoppable. So, um, you know, I I wrote an article about a year ago, and I was looking at the last 14 national champions, um, you know, from 2017 back 14 years, and the average national recruiting ranking was 6.1. The average conference recruiting ranking was 2.1, and the average 14.3 blue chip players. The absolute minimum was Auburn in 2010. And they had a 14.8 recruiting ranking. They were sixth in the conference. They had eight, they averaged eight eight and a half blue chip players over a four year period before the year they won the national championship. That profile kind of fits Florida when you look at that. So, is there a chance that they could win a title? Absolutely. But that Auburn team had Cam Newton, and they also went seven and zero in one score games. Mm. So it's a really rare occurrence that a team with a transcendent quarterback would be that fortunate in one score games and would be able to pull out games where quite honestly, the talent differential was significantly stacked against them. I mean, the game that Newton brought them back against Alabama, I think is probably, you know, what a 5% proposition, maybe that they win that game once they end up down and, but they were able to pull it out. They were able to win it and they're able to call themselves champions. So, I mean, if you really look at it for the most part, the average If you look at average recruiting rankings in terms of who fit that bill, who was better than six, who had more blue chips, coming into this year, it was Ohio State, USC, Alabama, Florida State, Georgia, and Texas. So obviously, Florida State struggled, USC struggled, but the other four were all in the top 10. Um, And Clemson's not on that list because their average recruiting ranking is lower than that, and obviously Clemson won the title. So, you know, you don't have to be top three but it it obviously took 20 a while to build that program too. And so I think you're probably looking at one or the other, right? You're either looking at top three recruiting classes to get into that sort of four to five to six average how long does that take you to go or really building up the program bringing in some of those five-star guys making sure you hit so you know they hit on Taj Boyd they hit on Deshaun Watson and now they've hit on Trevor Lawrence basically they had the Kelly Bryant experiment for a year got demolished by Alabama last year and said screw it we're going to bring in somebody better than Tua.
0: (laughs) Bryant still led him to a playoff appearance I mean it's still got him you know sure. I mean, it felt like it was a completeness. So, but you know, I I know I get the point. Yeah.
1: And I don't want to diminish the fact that Clemson has not had top 10 classes consistently because, because it's not, um, it's not something that you should overlook, but I think it's something you shouldn't count on. So again, if we're talking probabilities and if you're talking about who they have to play to get to the playoff, you know, the only team ranked ahead of them in the ACC from a recruiting standpoint is Florida State, and right now Florida State is not scaring Clemson at all, <laughs> based on based on how they've played and how they're recruiting, because Florida State is bringing in recruiting classes worse than Clemson this year. Um,
0: well, uh, before you, know, you uh, what what I feel better about right here, and, and, and I was thinking about this last night, and going against you know your your in division rival and the gap, yeah. You know, the gap between Florida and Georgia are when you look at how this season finished and where Florida will be ranked going the next season, is very negligible right right now. People will pick Georgia, but Florida not so far behind. And you pick Clemson and you compare them against Florida State, there is a massive gap and it's not even close. So you know you look at our main in-state rival in, in another conference and compare them to what they have to face in their division every year to what Florida has to face. Uh, you kind of you have to like that proposition right now.
1: Oh, absolutely. I mean, you know, if you if you ask me, would I rather have Florida State situation or Florida situation? (laughs) I'm gonna take Florida. I, I guess what I'm saying though is I do think we need to be patient. So last year in that same article, I basically said, Hey, Texas is the team you need to look for who's sort of the dark horse. They had very similar national recruiting rankings to Florida from 2015 to 2017, but then took a jump up to number three in 2018 in in uh in Herman's transition class, and all of a sudden was starting to push the boundaries of those recruiting averages. And Lincoln Riley's doing the same thing at Oklahoma. He's really starting to make some inroads, bringing some five star guys, and I think they're ranked fifth this year. So other teams are bringing in coaches paying them big dollars in other conferences to get up there too. And as that happens, I think what we're going to see is sort of a separation, you know, Michigan state made it to the national champ or made it to the playoff a few years ago as the fourth ranked team in the conference uh, in the big 10. I think we're going to see that less and less as sort of the rich get richer. I mean, that's sort of what we've seen with Alabama. It's what we're starting to see with Clemson. Um, George is trying to break into there and Florida's going to have to do that too. And, you know, I, you can be third in the conference and still be behind Alabama and Georgia and still compete yeah. if you're sitting up there and you're sort of saying, hey, the evaluation between the first-ranked team and the fourth-ranked team, no big deal. But once you see that drop-off from maybe the third or fourth-ranked team down to the seventh or eighth, it, it's significant in talent, and it's significant when you have an injury. I do think that it's it's re- the last couple of years, it's just one data point, obviously, but I, or two data points, but I think the last couple of years where there have been backup quarterbacks who've won the national championship are reflective of the importance of... Of having that kind of depth. And, and, you know, Clemson is going to continue building it. Alabama is going to continue building it. Georgia is going to continue build it. And so Florida is going to have to as well. And, you know, you, you hope the coaching can overcome it until you get to that point. And I think that's maybe what we saw with Spurrier back in 1990, you know, he takes over, he peppers over some of the, or he papers over some of the uh, the shortcomings in his quarterbacks until he finds Danny Werfel. And once he found Danny Werfel, then everything took off. And, and I think the same thing probably is true of Mullen that, um, likely the 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 takeoff point is going to be when he finds his Danny orful or when he finds his Tim Tebow. Um and until that point is probably gonna sit in that you know eleven and two, ten and three nine and four range um until they really get that elite quarterback.
0: Which is much better than what we were coming off of, Will. Said that. <laughs> <laughs> and hey look that's kind of what when we were looking at, at recruiting last year and where Mullen finished and hey, look, when he was hired and in his history, that's kind of the path I thought it would take. Uh, eventually Eventually, I still think the elite recruiting gets there and hey, 2020, 2021 might be those uh, might be those classes with the start uh, that we're seeing there. So, well, I think when it comes to the Gator standard, I think from a from a Gator Nation stand of uh, point of view, I think uh, we can sit here and say we have confidence in, in, in what Mullen does on game days.
1: Yeah, well, and winning the Peach Bowl is fun. Winning the Orange Bowl is fun. Winning the Sugar Bowl is fun. I mean, you know, the 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 goal of winning the SEC and the national championship are lofty goals. But I think we do need to still keep into or take into account that the journey is part of the fun. Right. And so um, if if it's just, hey, national championship or bust next year, you know, is that really a fair to the coach or is it fair to, um you know, is it fair to the players? I mean, at the end of the day, this is a development process. You hope it's actually fun to be the underdog. I remember that 13 and one year where we demolished Cincinnati in the bowl game. It didn't even seem like the players were having fun that year. Certainly urban Meyer wasn't having fun and you know, it's sports. It's supposed to be fun. And so, you know, I, I I think if you go 11 and two and you win the sugar bowl every year, it means that you were one game away or a couple of plays away from playing for the championship. Eventually you're going to get over that hump. Um, as long as we don't have any more four and eight or four and seven clunkers, man, I'm all right with it.
0: Yeah, well, I'm going to say it too. You know, eventually we may look back at this 2018 season, uh, and it may be the the season that uh, was the start of bringing back uh, the Gator standard there.
1: Uh, hashtag fire Saban, man. Once they get him out of there, then then <laughs> can take over.
0: Can we keep it going and maybe it just comes to fruition? Can we just keep it going?
1: Yeah. yeah. I'll sell T-shirts, man. If people, yeah. if people want to send me money, I'll send them a
0: T-shirt. Or maybe start starting to rumor, you know, the reason he looks so lost and disinterested in an Astro championship game was because he's got NFL in the brain, you know? I mean, sure. come on. We can, <laughs> we can come up he's, with something.
1: He's going to go be Kingsbury's defensive coordinator.
0: <laughs> what uh, uh, is that the best fall forward ever?
1: <laughs> I, mean, I just like I how you get see what the interview, so he paid it. So he quit.
0: How did you get fired at Texas Tech and become an NFL head coach? Uh, I, I, I don't know.
1: I don't know. Will you fire me so I can like get on ESPN? <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, that was a good one. There we go. Maybe it happened. Um, you got to fire yourself from your website, too, though. So, I mean, I, yeah. you know,
1: I'll do it if I get on ESPN. <laughs> That's
0: true. Uh, I am available. <laughs> what you got coming up on that website, Will?
1: Hey, man, we're going to have some – some uh, actually, a look back at Frank's. He, he, uh, there are some unique things that I've been looking at in terms of his play and how much he improved this year compared to some of the other other quarterbacks in the SEC. So I'll be writing about that this week. And then now that the AP polls are out, and I think the FPI will be updated for ESPN, I'm looking at Mullen and his coaching ability and, and what that means going forward. And really sort of when you look at the new hires from – from this past year, um, who was the best coach? who was the best hire, who was the worst hire. Um, you know, and, and I'll, I'll, uh, I'll give people a hint. Taggart's pretty low on the list. <laughs> you
0: can catch that at read and reaction.com. We'll cite there uh, talking Gators in college football. We'll if I if I'm, if I'm remember right, the FBI is not too kind uh, to Florida, as much as, uh, the final polls are. And if I'm not mistaken as well, Kentucky's not even in their top 25 of the
1: FBI. Mississippi States like eighth. Yeah. The FPI the FBI is weird because close losses to good teams impact you less than a big loss to a good team and, and, and those sorts of things. But the nice part about the FPI is that it gives you where everyone is. And so, you know, Florida state finishes this year, ranked what 75th or something. Yeah. And you can actually start to look at, okay, How did Taggart perform for this particular metric versus um, versus the recruits that he's got in the room? And so that's sort of the comparison I'm probably going to be making. And so the FBI gives you uh, something that allows you to go through instead of, you know, they cut off most of the polls at 25. And so uh, so you, you don't get to you don't get the full
0: effect of how bad Taggart truly was. In a sixty-four team playoff, FSU still wouldn't ha- still would not have been in it. So that's uh. Oh,
1: hey, F- I saw somebody today on Twitter said FSU didn't make the top twenty-five. It was just Fresno State at nineteen.
0: <laughs> the real FSU. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, it feels good to win again and make jokes. Yeah, it
1: doesn't get old, does
0: it? Doesn't get old. No, it doesn't. Ah, right, well, uh, that'll do it. So this episode of Gators Breakdown, you can find Will on Twitter at WillMilesSEC and, again, his site, ReadAndReaction.com. I'm the host of Gators Breakdown, David Waters. You can find me on Twitter at GatorDave underscore SEC. Guys, and goes out there. Thanks for listening to this episode of Gators Breakdown.